This episode of the Impact Makers podcast is sponsored by Workplace from Meta. Everybody's talking about the metaverse these days, but Workplace from Meta is different. I mean, the clue's in the name, right? Workplace is a business communication tool that uses features like instant messaging and video calls to help people share information. Think Facebook before your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work, a future in which your job isn't just something you do, but something you experience. A future in which we'll all feel more present, connected, and productive. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com forward slash future. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Today, I've got a real treat for you. Since 2021, I've had the pleasure of serving my country through being a member of the Defense Business Board, which is a group of private sector and former military leaders who provide the Secretary of Defense and the Deputy Secretary of Defense with trusted, independent, and objective advice that reflects an outside private sector perspective on proven and effective business practices for potential application within the United States Department of Defense. As part of a study that we completed last year related to strengthening the Defense Department civilian talent management, I had the pleasure of interviewing today's guest, Matthew Daniel, who is Principal Consultant of Talent Strategy and Mobility at Guild Education. Guild is an exciting company that partners with forward-thinking organizations to transform education into strategic talent advantage, especially for their front line. And he must have done a really good job in his interview because he was invited to join the board this year and participate with us in future talent studies. I'm always amazed at the breadth of his knowledge related to talent development and talent mobility, and he is a man of many stats that present a compelling business case for why it's not only the right thing to do to invest in your workforce, but it also makes business sense. After you've listened to our lively conversation, you'll want to be sure to check out the show notes in your podcast app or on my website at jennifermcclure.net because I've linked to several of the resources that Matthew mentions, as well as different online publications where he writes frequently about the future of work. I know that you'll get a lot out of our discussion, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with my friend, Matthew Daniel. Welcome to the Impact Makers podcast, Matthew. I'm really excited to chat with you today. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Well, thanks. I am so grateful to be on with you. I am Matthew, and I work for a company called Guild Education, where I am a principal focused on talent strategy and mobility. That's where I am today. Where I started in my career was falling into it, like most people, on accident, falling into the world of learning and talent development and human resources more broadly. I'll just say from the beginning, I I love the title of your podcast because what I've always wanted was to have impact. I think at every point in my career, I have thought to myself, uh, which path do I go on? And the answer is always, where do I think I can have the most impact on the most people and create change and opportunity for folks? So I think it started just right out of college with a company called GP Strategies, where I had the opportunity to work across. uh, I wasn't one of those folks in those high potential programs that got access to executives and all that wonderful stuff. I, I kind of created my own 
rotational program where I got to spend a year with DOD and a year with Homeland Security and a year with Cigna and a year with Microsoft and with Nike and got to work in learning and talent development, solving big talent issues across these organizations with large programs of learning and development and spent a number of years floating between all those companies as a part of my work with GP Strategies and then went in-house at Capital One, spent six years in learning and talent development there through our digital transformation, which was so fun. I wanted to, instead of being on the outside of an organization, I wanted to understand what it was like to live inside the company, to deal with the just minutia of large organizations and change management and leading teams and those things. And then a few years ago, I left Capital One, went out on my own as a consultant, uh, specifically working on talent strategy, and ended up with Guild Education, which is whew, has been a blast. It is startup life at Guild. We have gone, since I've been there, from 600 employees to 1,400 over the past two and a half years, and getting to work with employers where we partner with them on how to use education, upskilling, reskilling. Um, those partners are folks like Walmart or Tyson or Target, large organizations who are making a lot of investment in frontline employees to create opportunity for them through upskilling and reskilling. So it's the entirety of my, my career has been about investing in others and seeing them grow and uh, trying to match them up with opportunities so they can go big, do bigger and better things. It's been a blast. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be here with you today and get to talk about some pieces of that. Yeah, well, I think both with your background and experience and also the company that you're working in today, you're working at kind of like the gasoline for the future of work. It's really around skills and talent development. And obviously more and more companies are seeing the importance of that. Not all of them know how to approach it. And so well, the work that you're doing, and again, the the uh, partners that you have with your company, I think there's a lot of exciting things happening there. Maybe tell me a little bit more. Again, I came across Guild uh, probably a couple of years ago and in, in preparing for one of my presentations and kind of thinking about learning and talent development in the future. And I actually quote your CEO in one of my presentations with a big picture slide of her. And became familiar with the model, but I don't think everyone is. Maybe tell us a little bit more about how Guild partners with companies to help them with developing their talent in the future. Yeah, so I alluded to this. Our, our mission is really to unlock opportunity for America's workforce through education, skilling, and career pathways. How that works is we build a learning marketplace. We have uh, academic providers, folks like uh, Southern New Hampshire University or Purdue Global or Maryland Global Campus. And we work with these uh, higher ed providers, but we also work with folks who are creating short form certificates, credentials that people can get on anything from a particular platform like Tableau to data analytics, uh, cybersecurity, et cetera. And so that's one side of how we work. On the other side, uh, we have the employers that we work with. So we have Walmart, Chipotle, Target, Disney. And what they want to do is they're looking, historically, it was a benefit. And it was a, a not very used benefit where you got your white collar workers access to an MBA and you reimbursed a part of their education. And really, when Guild came on the scene, we said, you know what, we really want to connect accessible universities, high quality universities, but accessible universities with these employees. And we, we think there's a value pop to these employers to actually say, hey, you can retain employees longer 
if they're going through these development opportunities. And really about the time I joined Guild is when we started to say, and not just retain them longer, let's also skill them in focused areas that align with your business strategy. And then on the other end of that education, let's find ways to plug them into the organizational needs that you have for talent across the organization. So it's a, it's a really interesting model. The employers, we facilitate that payment. It's, it's not a reimbursement model because ultimately we are deeply care about the frontline, about 70% of the accessible workforce that we access through our employer partners. They're hourly workers in organizations. And that is really deeply where our passion lies. And those are not folks who can pay $1,000 or $2,000 for a certificate. They can't pay for a diploma program. And so we, we facilitate that payment directly from the employer to the academic provider. And, um, and then we coach those employees so that they stay in the programs. We help them figure out where are you in your journey? Where should you go? And then we have growth coaches who are showing up every step of the journey and saying, how's it going? How, how are you progressing? What's the support that you need? Have you thought about time management while you're doing your day job and you're raising your children and you're trying to go to school? How do you balance those things? And so we have coaches that show up at that moment. And then we have career coaches at the end of it who are, who are helping those folks figure out how to navigate their own organizations and find new opportunities. So we kind of use ourselves both as a, a facilitation of payments. We help connect those uh, employees with the right programs to match the corporate strategy in their life. And then we coach them all the way to success. And so that whole model really has been groundbreaking and a whole lot of fun to get to be a part of as we build success for we, we think there's a win-win here. It, it can be a win for the employees where they're developing economic mobility, new skills, getting themselves ready for the future, and the employers benefit from their own internal talent pipeline and the retention benefit of all those people as they're enrolled in programs today. Yeah, it's it's such a great benefit. And I know I, like many others, maybe listening to the podcast, have seen headlines in the past about, you know, Amazon offering uh, education all throughout their workforce, et cetera. But I don't know that, you know, enough companies are familiar with kind of the model that that you and your company have that really creates a partnership. And as you said, I know I spent many years as an HR leader and we would always say, oh, we offer tuition reimbursement and maybe one person a year would take advantage of it. And as you said, there's an outlay up front on their part and then, you know, a reimbursement of some percentage on the back end. And then in some cases, which, you know, I, I don't think is usually successful. If you leave the company within a certain amount of time, they try to claw it back, you know, so it's not really uh, the benefit that I think we needed. And I really appreciate, you know, what you're doing to help people reskill, upskill, learn, and grow. Do you have maybe an example of a success story either that you can anonymize or if there's someone, you know, an organization that has a great success story? I don't have to anonymize it because uh, they said it publicly. So I'll I'll say it. Um, if you don't know Dr. Mar Yule, she's at Rocket Companies. They have a fascinating culture, so dedicated to their mission. They've been really impactful in the Detroit area where they're based out of. What they saw, they had a tuition reimbursement program. And as they went to tuition-free education, they saw an 8X, or I guess, let me say it differently, an 800X adoption rate inside their organization. And by pairing it with that career coaching, originally the employees who are enroll, enrolled in those programs uh, and, and were trying to move into new positions, it was about 
14%. And now they have seen that about 82% of participants in these programs, as they access coaches who are helping them into their next role, are actually finding their way into it. So it really is changing paradigm. And I think I'll just quote like the numbers from uh, Walmart. Walmart has been really public about the impact of Live Better You. It's what they call their program. And what they've seen for them in particular is 4x reduction in turnover for people who are engaged in these programs versus not. And then in particular, uh, their Black hourly associates who are participating in LBU or Live Better You, they're 87.5% more likely to receive promotions than non-participants. In the Latino population, the Hispanic or Latino population, they're seeing a, almost 71% more likely rate of promotion. So it's exciting to see the impact truly that it's having inside these business where the adoption rate goes up, goes up. And as you, it's exciting to see how the adoption rate goes up. And then as you change the policies to be more inclusive, they are indeed more inclusive. Uh, you have results like promotion rates are among historically marginalized populations that creates a pipeline of leaders and quite frankly, a more diverse pipeline of leaders for the future for a company. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's the manpower CEO, another again quote that I have in one of my presentations, he talks about skills, identification and development being the defining challenge of the decade. And I know when I started my business as a speaker for the first two or three years, one of my most popular talks was around talent shortages and skills gaps. You know, so I was talking about this in the year 2010, uh, you know, quoting the McKinsey study that said by 2020, we would not have the skills that we needed to do the jobs of today. And the demographics are not in our favor in terms of the population that's exiting the workforce and the one coming, you know, growing up in the workforce is smaller, et cetera. So skills development is such a critical part of having the talent that we need now and in the future. And I think that's that's something that people are feeling the pain of, obviously, right now, because there are so many open positions. But the reality is, even if there are people available to fill those open positions, they don't necessarily have the skills that are needed to do the work, right? Yeah. Can, can I give you a little more data to go with that? So even just in the past two years, if we think about the shortage that we've had of talent up to this date, uh, I know there are a lot of organizations who are thinking about how do we hire skills instead of degrees. But if we realistically look at how hiring decisions are made, the enrollment numbers in the past two years as a result of the pandemic in colleges and universities, it's a decline of 1 million so here's what's fascinating is there was a there was an expected drop that was coming between 2025 and 2030 because of a birth rate decline in 2008. So you had the recession, people started having fewer kids, which was already they had it deemed it was deemed as a cliff that was coming in 2025. So if you have a 1 million decrease in 2020 to 2022, you tap into another something like 15% decline in enrollment beginning in 2025. The thing that you were talking about, it is real in 2020, uh, in 2021, 2022, we see that from the unemployment rate right now. But what gets worse to me, if we look at, at that 1 million over the past two years, and we look at the population's most impact, there's a decline uh, of Black enrollment by 8%, Indigenous enrollment by 6%, uh, fall in international enrollment by 11%. So all in all, you have this tightening of the talent pipeline. and those folks coming through those programs, the skills that they have 
aren't necessarily matching how the workforce is progression uh, progressing. And so I think right now, when, when I look at the employers, let me, let me say it this way. I get excited about gnarly problems. Like at, when I come to work every day, I, again, I go back to where we started. I want to have an impact. And when I look at what's coming down the train tracks over the next 10 years, we already had a talent shortage. We have a talent shortage right now. Increasingly, those areas are going to get tighter and tighter. Things like cyber, software engineer, CDL. It's not just what we consider these white collar jobs. There are tightening pipelines across all of these areas. And I, I personally think that, that leaders, employers in particular, but leaders who look around them and say, it's my job to keep you here and to develop you into the talent that I need. If we go back to a society 60 or 70 years ago, we were developing our own talent pipeline. You know, GE thought it was going to have, it was developing its future leaders. Institutionally, that's what employers did. You were expected to work there your entire life. Now, society has obviously moved on, but ultimately, I think that it is employers who make the decision. It's leaders who make the decisions to invest in their own staff, to build the skills that they need, rather than just expecting to somehow go out on the market and buy those skills through recruiting. Those folks will have built the pipes that they need for the future to deliver their own talent in the critical areas. I think those are the organizations who are going to come, come become much more successful as we look over the next decade. What is... Um based on your expertise and you are the king of stats you <laughs> you've got stats for everything but as leaders what is maybe a step we should take today to begin to move our organization in that direction if we've not been there in the past we've been that well there's an open position post a job go out buy the talent we haven't been thinking well what can we do to develop the talent we're going to need in 2025 2027 2030 everybody now is doing the presentations on 2030 i'm like we're still 2022's got a lot of problems <laughs> yeah for sure i will tell you that i have some passion around this i think it is fascinating i don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with josh person but he's one of the leading um, HR analysts. And he was giving a talk yesterday at uh, HR Tech Conference. And one of the quotes that I saw on LinkedIn, I need to go source this and make sure that this is actually what he said. But what was relayed as a quote from him was, I'm afraid that you've all been led astray about the importance of skills. This is a really big problem. And uh, people think they're going to solve it. And I, I think what has happened, if you're in HR, we've been kind of intoxicated by the technology. And we think to ourselves, hey, we're going to map all the skills in our organization. We're going to get Jennifer to come tell us the 200 things that she's good at and on what scale she's good at them. And we're going to match you up with all the right jobs in the organization. I think ultimately that promise hasn't been delivered in organizations. I think the technology is growing and getting stronger and better. But ultimately, I, I think Jennifer is far less the challenge. You have a whole mound of great talent on the front lines of your organization that have been working with you that have talent that you can't see in your HR system. I think to my family, I'm the only, uh, I'm the oldest of four and the only one with a college degree, bachelor's degree. And I look at the three younger siblings that I have. And one is a plumber who codes on his phone and your HR system is not going to pick that up. One is a 
One is not a college graduate, but he, in addition to what he does, taking care of his family, he serves in the community. You know, in addition to being an electronics technician who came out of the Coast Guard, he is serving at his local church and leading people, uh, serving as a, a coach to, you know, a baseball team. Think about my sister, who is the hairstylist, who's not going to show up in your HR system, but she's also leading the booster club for the gymnastics team where she's in charge of marketing and budget. And I think of how many people that sit on our own front lines and we can't see their skills. And so what I, the way I don't think we solve this is some massive skilling effort where we try and figure out all the skills that you have. I think that problem is still just a little too gnarly. I think if an employer or a leader is thinking to themselves, what steps do I take now? It's really to focus on the couple of areas that they're going to be the most demand in the future. And I think this is why we think about what what do employees want? They really want three things. They want purpose. They want work that they show up every day and they believe that their work matters. You can work at a bank and still have purpose. You can. You don't have to be nonprofit to have purpose. You can be in any organization and create a purpose that people organize and do their work around. Number two, they want pay. They want pay that they can live, uh, take care of their family. They want life and family sustaining wages. And number three, they want a pathway for the future. They want to believe that there's a place that they can go. There are things that they can access. So as an employer, if I'm trying to figure out what do I do about talent shortages and the places that I'm not going to have talent in the future and all this churning, how do I recruit all the talent? I think you you focus in on where the areas are. We, as I, the team that I get to work with, we've looked at where are the biggest gaps in talent across the country today. And as we do that, we see focus areas in things like data analytics or software engineering, cybersecurity in that tech space. We also see like frontline and general management. We see roles in HR and finance. Let's go outside of that. Let's go to healthcare. We see uh, Josh Burson just put out a blog post yesterday of an expected shortage of something like a million and a half nurses over the next few years. So nursing, uh, allied health, lab work in the healthcare space. And so focus on those couple of pathways where you know you are going to need talent the most and intentionally facilitate that growth. What are the programs? What are the credentials that we can get them? What are the activities that we can get them? I don't need to map all 3,000 jobs across my organization. I need to map the two dozen that are going to make or break my business in the future where I am not going to have talent coming. And I need to intentionally focus on facilitating growth and not from department to department, but from frontline up. I have leaders. I have an increasingly diverse workforce at the lower end of the spectrum. How do I invest in that talent and see an opportunity to see them fill my talent pipelines for the future. It's so fun. You know, people can't see you. I can see you on video and, and people. Uh, Matthew's taking us to church here. He is preaching, uh, in this case, to the choir, me. So I, I believe what you're saying, and I know it's important. Uh, and it's so interesting. You know, we're, we're in the midst of right now, at the time of this recording, a potential rail strike. And, you know, watching the news last night about all the, the dominoes that would fall if we're not able to move freight on the railways. And the first response is, well, we'll move it by train. And they talked to someone from the trucking industry and he's like, we don't have truck drivers for the trucks. <laughs> you know, that's not going to help. You know, we were assured 80,000 truck drivers. I think it was like what he said. But, you know, that I think a lot of the, the pandemic supply chain issues have helped people to see some of the things that 
there aren't easy solutions if we don't have talent in the roles that we need in the jobs that we have. And that particular example that you bring up, I think Walmart has done a really interesting thing. We partnered with them, but they're doing it with us and outside of Guild, where they are actually, again, taking their own cashiers and warehouse workers. And so those folks are earning two and three times the salary they were nine months ago and are now CDLs. They are truck drivers for Walmart across the the country hauling their freight. So I think that's another great example of where people investing in their own talent, it is a win-win that the business gets to stay afloat because they have the talent in the areas that they need. And you're also creating these opportunities for employees who are going to be fiercely loyal to you for your investment in them and the opportunity that you're giving them for the future. So it's a it's another great example of, of making an investment in your own talent and seeing those folks stay and fill the talent needs. I think we are so dependent right now on a frontline workforce that we have historically not paid attention to. And I think this pathways idea of investing in people. And again, I know you have folks who listen to the podcast who are not necessarily HR leaders. I don't want to get too wonky on this. Like there is a part of this to be applied to every manager that says, am I investing in you? Like you as the person who works for me on my team, how am I developing a pathway for you? How am I investing my time and energy in you? And how will that drive loyalty to me and to the company for the future and help me meet the needs of the organization? I think, again, it's just a win-win at every level. But is there also a mindset shift that's needed for leadership in the sense that you mentioned earlier, the, the workforce mindset has changed. Not everyone is looking at a career of 10 years with a company, let alone 30 or 40. So when they think sometimes about developing talent, there is a little bit of that, especially depending on, you know, how long the leader's been in the workforce of, do I want to invest if you, if you're not going to stay? How do, how do you address that? The thing that I would say is here, here, we have an ROI calculation that we work on, on this whole concept of, should I pay for somebody's education or upskilling? What does that mean? And what we find is just in terms of reduction in attrition, like just reducing turnover, the cost of onboarding that next employee who leaves because you're not investing in their development, you generally break even on retention alone, much less that those people become your future talent pipeline. If you think of the turnover rates, especially with frontline employees across a number of different industries, all you, if you're investing in education and opportunities for them, they, they will say, as a matter of fact, you, you mentioned, I love me some data. So I'm going to say it. Um, there was a study that came out of um, Harvard Business School last year. It's called Building from the Bottom Up. And it says, when low-wage workers were asked what would induce them to stay at their company, 62% indicated the prospect of upward mobility. Here's one other data point. Among U.S. workers who left a job in 2021, 63% say they left because there were no opportunities for advancement. I was getting phone calls from CHROs at the beginning of this year who were just saying, I am getting my exit survey data and it is atrocious. Everyone is leaving because they don't see an opportunity here. So I think um, making that in intentional investment, if you don't make that investment, they're leaving anyway. If you make that investment, we find in both the people who enroll in programs and the people who just start to explore. So I was looking at Guild's data this morning. Guild at, as uh, Guild, and I don't want to 
I believe deeply in what we're doing. Here's the problem. I don't want to sound like a commercial, but I believe deeply in the work that we do. So here's what we find. When we look at people who just engage with Guild, and Guild isn't just like a tuition reimbursement. That's not the thing that we love to do. It's not even about education benefits. We, we are a career opportunity platform. So the, when you come into our platform, you are getting a lead on what your employer thinks is important for the future. You are seeing not just education opportunities, you're seeing the roles tied to those where you have a higher likelihood of getting access to those roles. So what we find is that for people who just engage in the platform, talk to one of our coaches and explore, there is a 30% lift in retention for those employees, even if they never enroll in a program. If they enroll in a program, we get those significant 4X reduction in turnover, 43% lift in retention rate. And all of that is because they see that there's an opportunity. They see their company investing in them. They see a place where they might go. So I think I have to go back to the data when somebody comes and says, hey, you know, I'm afraid that if I invest in this education, they might leave. And that is when we can look at the ROI and say, you know what, if, if all you do is invest in their education for the next year, you're going to reduce turnover in a way that makes that investment worth it, period. Now, if you work with us to help you figure out how to reduce friction so that those same people can get access to roles in your organization, you're going to find that you get the cost benefit of the, you know, roughly 30% it takes to a recruitment cost of a salary that you would normally use. And so you end up with this compounding ROI that gets ridiculously high the more levers you pull between getting programs available, getting programs available that are tied to your strategy, finding ways to reduce friction to getting new jobs, facilitating that growth. And then you have organizations who are recognizing a significant return on investment for building their own pipeline as a result. Mm-hmm. Great information for for leaders to be able to go and make the business case uh, in their organization to to bring in, you know, as you said, not necessarily just with guilt to look at what defining career paths and opportunities are, even in small organizations. How are you making people aware of what they could grow into? And then I like the reducing friction, you know, maybe that is enrolling them in a program like Guild, or maybe it is just helping them to identify a career path and how they might be able to pay for that or how the company might pay for that and it could benefit. So there are a lot of ways to approach this. I know you're you're passionate about many things in the, the talent development space, one of them being, you know, obviously we've talked quite a bit about it, but internal mobility. And you're writing a white paper that's going to be coming out on that in the near future. What are maybe one or two takeaways that you're going to be exploring that you can share with us around internal talent mobility? Yeah, I I would say one I hit on already, focus on pathways. That is a critical part of the infrastructure rather than we need to map skills across the organization over the next five years. Let's just figure out the next three months what some of the pathways are we need to focus on. Um, Number two, I I would really focus on, I think they're needs to be an awareness. We, we've all been mobile at some point in time in our career. We've all had to go look for a new job. I just want you, everybody who's listening to this to reflect, there is the moment where you hit apply and interview and accept a new job. There is a whole lot of time before that where you are trying to explore what the options are available to you. You're thinking, you're imagining what the future is. I think companies who help facilitate that process by making it clear to people what the opportunities are, what the pay might be, what it's going to take, who have people who've made that journey before who are available as a coach or a mentor 
to have webinars or info sessions where you just share with people, here's what our needs are, here's what it looks like. I heard a story yesterday, I got to listen to one of the calls of an employee who uh, had a different job. He randomly got invited to a phone call where he got to hear about uh, cybersecurity needs at this particular company. And the result was he started a program and he's already got a confirmation that he's got a job on the other side. He's got, I think, five classes to finish in this last semester or so. And then he gets this new job in this area. So just making him aware of what was available to him resulted in that. So creating some of the tools that help people explore what they want, where they're going. And as a company, the more you invest in that, the more you craft the places where people go uh, that match with you. I think reducing friction in terms of internal recruiting processes. I am always astounded by how little effort companies put into internal recruiting for their own talent. And so it's no surprise they go take better jobs somewhere else because you weren't showing them it could be easier. As a matter of fact, what we usually find is that it's harder to hire people internally. There are more policies and programs in place and rules about how you do it, not access to relocation benefits, all the things that you would get access to if you were external, but you don't even have those things internally. I think that I'll just say one of the final pieces is around measurement. I think my mentor growing up always used to say, you have to inspect what you expect. And so the ultimately, if you're, putting dashboards up that reward executives and leaders for not just the retention of talent, but the in, uh, export of talent from one department to another. If you're measuring that uh, people are net importers and net exporters of talent inside the organization, and you reward them for that, good job for letting go of good talent to get into another department so the company doesn't let go of talent. There's this conflicting narrative between a manager who is incentivized to retain and keep people in place, and a company who desperately needs to facilitate movement in order to execute on a business strategy. And so we have to create better mechanisms inside the organization, rewards, compensation, celebration, marketing, storytelling of how people make those moves inside the organization. And then we are a part of that growth because that talent isn't yours as a manager. That talent belongs to the organization. That talent is uh, uh, executing across a much bigger strategy than just what the business goals are that you have this quarter. And we have to find ways the company has to reward managers for thinking that way rather than penalizing for you fell 10% short this quarter on the goal that we said had set for you. Well, that's because I was thinking about the bigger need of the organization and getting this talent into a place where they can better serve us for our future. Yeah, that's where I think HR leaders and people who set the metrics for, you know, our internal leadership need to think about evolving those metrics. You know, if we're measuring turnover by department, then that can disincentivize, as you said, leaders to develop and grow talent. Instead, we should be looking at these more proactive measures. Are you retaining talent and developing your talent and also moving talent on into other opportunities that benefit the organization in their career, rather than looking at just the flat numbers of, well, you lost five people on your team this year. Well, if that's what I'm getting rewarded for as a manager is to keep people on my team, well, I can try to do that. Right. <laughs> I, I think one of the fast Fascinating data points, and it's it's pretty intuitive when I say it, but companies with low internal mobility have an average employee tenure of about 2.9 years. 
Companies that have high internal mobility see an average tenure of about 5.4 years. So almost double the tenure, average tenure of an employee if they're in a place that celebrates and rewards mobility rather than disincentivizes. How about this one? 2.9x. Employees with opportunities to learn and grow are 2.9x more likely to be engaged. Fascinating data that tells us that the more we invest in developing and seeing those opportunities for other people to move around the organization, uh, the greater the loyalty to the company, the greater the retention, and then the financial metrics for that organization as they as they facilitate that process. Well, clearly, leaders, if you are looking to make a business case about uh, bringing talent mobility and, and learning and development in your organization, you need to connect with Matthew because he's got the stats for you to build your business case. <laughs> <laughs> As you look into the future of work, which I just said uh, as a presentation I did yesterday, the future of work is this afternoon and next week. But as we look out into the future, what is maybe one thing that you see is kind of like an ember that's burning that is going to go into a flame if we don't address it when it comes to people and talent in the workplace? Is there something that you're concerned about that we're not paying enough attention to in the future of work? Uh I always like yeah, to stump on. my guests. I, I, no, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I have hit on some things that are really important. I think there's one piece that I haven't hit on that I will, which is I think I think equity becomes a greater and greater concern for the future. And I talked about it in terms of we need to create pathways for folks from the front line, which are have an outsized population that comes from un, under uh, underrepresented folks. But I think in general. Let me, let me say it this way. Our nation as a whole becomes more and more diverse. And so the consumer base for any company is becoming increasingly diverse in its base. It's rich. It's a rich tapestry. If you continue to build talent that comes from those who've had access to education and privilege, Instead of building a talent base that reflects the consumer population, that you're, it, it's a recipe for disaster because ultimately you're not going to see the needs of, of the people that you're trying to serve and have by your products and services. And so I think I, I talked about that kind of wildly disproportionate distribution of marginalized communities into the front line. I'll, I'll actually just even give you the numbers on this. So if we think about U.S. employees who are people of color across the front line, about 41%, whereas executives, uh, about 15%. So we see less than half. I think that from a, a business strategy standpoint is a disaster waiting to happen in your ability to serve populations that your own workforce doesn't reflect. And I think there will be a time that that uh, spells uh, ruin for companies because they'll, I, I'll take uh, Alex's quote from your previous, they're, they're going to get Netflixed for not being the kind of organization, we, we used to say it, like you don't want to end up on the front street of the Wall Street Journal for your inability to see a business strategy and meet it. Just going to say, from a business perspective, that's where it lands. I'm, I'm going to go now to like who we are, for those who are listening who are on in human resources roles, this is kind of the way I'd like to end. And it's this. None of us got into HR or even people management because we thought to ourselves, I want to do a really terrible job. 
Okay, I want to create inequity. I love systems and processes. I want to make it difficult to hire internally. I want to make sure marginalized communities aren't served well. Uh, I just love how how great it is to work with an HRIS. Like nobody ever said that. We all got on, into this field, many of us accidentally, because we thought to ourselves, I can make things better. I can have an impact. I can make a change in the lives of people. And then we get fat and happy in our role. We're making, we're part of the machine. And I think my call um, to people who are listening to this is to become the person that you always wanted to be when you took this job in HR. When you took the job as a people manager, you thought, I'm going to do things well. Like, I'm going to take care of people I wasn't taking care of. People didn't meet my needs. People didn't see me. People didn't invest in me. I think we have an opportunity in the position that we sit in, in the culture that we sit in, in the time that we're in this role, to have a meaningful impact on the lives of the people in our company and on our teams by being more equitable by investing in their skill development, by upsetting some of the norms of power in our companies and thinking, how do I use my position, the system that I manage, the tools that I own, the process I create to invest in people and create more equity? I think if we can come to it and say, I want to do that thing that I thought I could do when I took this job, I think the world gets to be a lot better for all of us to live in if we're making investments so that the future of work is more equitable. It's, it is uh, representative of the place that we want to be, the world that we want to live in. So that's my charge as people, people, live, uh, people leave listening to this podcast is go do the work that you thought was possible and even some of the things you didn't think were possible and go have an impact on the people around you. And thus ends the sermon. Everybody come to the front that wants to accept. (laughs) I love it. It is exactly, I think, a great way to end this discussion with the call to action around equity, which includes learning and development. And really, as you said, thinking about our roles as how can we make an impact on the lives of the people that we lead and serve and on our organizations as a result of doing that. So investing in your people is always going to be a path to do that. So thank you so much for sharing that for us. And I know you share a lot of great information and resources and some of these stats that you've been spouting off on your LinkedIn profile and in some of the writings you do there, but how can people connect with you find more ways to learn from you. I know you write for a few publications. Tell us where they can connect. Yeah, Yeah, I write regularly for Chief Learning Officer or talentmanagement.com, a number of other places. But I'll just say, come to my LinkedIn profile at Matthew J. Daniel. You will find me there and you will get access to a ton of data, reports that I'm sharing, research that I've found. Uh, It's a fun part of my job to get to share those with the world. And so Come and see those and you'll get access to all of those pieces. As I discover them, you'll be privy to all of it. Well, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and expertise with us today. And I look forward to continuing to learn from you in the future. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 